Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on talk radio. Too many children to care for. Too many jobs to manage. Well, never fear. Help is here in the shape of the Matthew Wright podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on talk radio. The, uh, the fallen titan of Hollywood, as uh, The Guardian described him, uh, was convicted yesterday of a criminal sex act in the first degree that's forced oral sex uh, on a woman called uh, Miriam Haley. The incident occurred in 2006, carries a maximum sentence of a... A maximum prison sentence of five, between five and 25 years, that one. I want to start this by asking, I suppose, the, the critical question from the perspective of, of working uh, actors and actresses is whether or not we now can rely or rest assured that the threat of the casting couch, which has uh, existed for as long as Hollywood has existed, has the casting couch been condemned to the waste bin of history? And I'm going to turn for guidance on this to a friend of the show, a friend of mine, uh, an actress of note, former Coronation Street star Nicola Thorpe, who I believe has had some experience of the casting couch herself. She joins us on the line now. Good afternoon to you, Nicola. Good afternoon, Matthew. Hi. Uh, lovely to talk to you, and I'm, I'm sorry I missed you last time um, you were here at Talk Radio. Um, no worries, you're poorly. Thank you. Before we get on um, to uh, to your own experiences, um, what do you make of the conviction of Harvey Weinstein? I mean, obviously, everyone's talking about um, this being a monumental Um, change in the plight of women against sexual abusers. However, I'm just a bit disheartened that it took, you know, a hundred women to speak out and several years for it actually to go to court. And and he wasn't found guilty of of all of those charges. And it, I don't know, for me, it just, it seems like... A little bit disheartening, to be honest. I mean, he's going to prison. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he's been told he's going to prison when he gets out of hospital. That I'm overjoyed with. But it's just the process in itself. I mean, the bigger picture here is that um, so many more women feel able to be taken seriously. Um, And that's what's what's crucial. You know, he's this titan of Hollywood and and even he isn't free from um, being held accountable but I just worry about the, the length and the, the amount of time and the amount of, of witnesses and women who've had to come forward for this to actually make it to court. That unsettles me, but I hope that it's just another step in, in progress towards more men being held accountable. Do you think it does consign the casting couch to the, the, the trash bin of, uh, of Hollywood history? I would hope so, to a certain degree. However, I've experienced situations, you know, not not to the extent of, of sexual assault, but I've certainly experienced situations since the Me Too movement whereby somebody in a person of, of power within the acting or broadcasting industry have used their status and their power in a, um, in a way to uh, suggest sexual encounters. And I was absolutely... 
absolutely flabbergasted that that kind of behaviour could still take place. Had you experienced stuff like that before Me Too? Oh, yeah. Could you oh, talk yeah. us through some of the, 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 the more, I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but I, and it's, I have to ask, the, the more unpleasant and unsavoury experiences? Sure. I mean, I've had, um, I've had directors who have um, harassed me, um, who have sent explicit, explicit text messages, uh, etc. But that was a point where I was at, at drama school. Right. So I was in training. And as a 21-year-old you know, aspiring actor, you think, well, how, what do, how do I respond? Now, I, I knew, luckily, at, at that point, I, I had kind of enough knowledge about people who behaved in that way to call it out, and I right. spoke to my drama school about it, and they, they handled it very, very well. Good. However, um, I've had, you know, other directors ask for explicit photographs that they said that they were going to be using um, in certain productions, and you have that moment, I think, where you go... Is this professional or is it not? Now, in hindsight, I can see that it was not at all. But when you're in that moment and when you are so desperate for work and you're aware and you're being made aware that there are many other actresses who will comply with those kind of demands, it's, it's a really unsettling situation to be in. I've even had a, a documentary filmmaker who wanted to make a film about women's rights um, sending me photographs of... Um, what was it? He, he wanted... He sent me photographs of sexy dresses that he wanted me to wear for him at like three o'clock in the morning. Now this is all. And he's making. He, he was. He, he was making a program about women's rights. He was. A, yeah, and this is this is the thing. It's not all necessarily a purely. It's I, not the violation of, of sexual um, of sexual element to it. It's this power play. So the fact that this man, he just so happened to be a man, who would have the the gall to suggest a women's rights documentary so that he could behave like that. You know, he puts himself as, you know, in this situation whereby he, he's moral. He portrays himself as being a moral person, but then gets away with behaviour like that. But then there's, there's another level to it as well. When I first came out of drama school, I went into a very reputable casting um, suite with a female casting director, and the male director there wanted me to take my clothes off, strip down to my underwear, which I'd been warned about and I was okay with, um, you were warned was, about it. Sorry, you were warned about it, but you were okay with it. Yeah, can you explain that? Happen, well, they they often do tattoo checks. So right, for certain right. jobs, they want to make sure that you know you don't have any tattoos showing. So I was used to that. Right. But then he asked me to blow up a balloon until it burst in my face. Now, <laughs> I, I did it. That's so but, weird. But there's, you know, I'm, I'm not. I, I just wonder how many um, how many young actors and particularly women are, are put into situations like that where they have to take their clothes off. They might not were necessarily you, feel comfortable. About were that. you in your underwear when you had to blow the balloon thing? Yes. Oh it was. my! There's footage of it somewhere. Who knows what he's done with that? But this is what I mean. It's it's. It, it filters. It filters oh. down to all kind of levels. You know, but it, it comes back. Kevin and I started the show, so we just don't get it. I mean, yeah, I understand bits of it, power to a degree, but stuff like that just—it's just way beyond my comprehension. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. Talking about a newly appointed Conservative MP, uh, the MP for Lee near Wigan. Um, he came in in December with Boris Johnson. And uh, he's apologised uh, after a video emerged uh, which shows him exposing himself uh, to, um, or to a woman in a pub, although anybody else I would imagine in the pub could have seen him. 
Uh, James Grundy is facing calls to resign after the release of a video showing the incident has gone into the media and it captures Grundy lowering his trousers, lifting his shirt to expose his genitals as requested by a woman heard in the video. So there's a clear argument for consent there, but it's in a public place, it's in a pub. God knows who else could have seen it. Is this a case for resignation? I'm going to turn to Dr Jennifer Cassidy, politics lecturer at the University of Oxford, for some guidance. She's on the line now. Good afternoon, Dr Jennifer. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for, for joining us online. Um, it's a rather unsavoury story, and um, I'm kind of loath to offer um, uh, lines of defence, but uh, the incident happened in 2007. Um, he only became an MP in December, James Grundy. Is it a resignation matter, Jennifer? Certainly. I am um, at the heart of this and the heart of any um, actions or be it public or private of officials is credibility and our ability to trust in them. And as you rightly noted before this, to be um, moral examples and moral exemplaries right. for society. So a, a standard bar should be set. And his credibility is highly reduced in this video, even though it was before, uh, you know, it was 2007. Um, if, if I'm correct in, in, in yes, that, you are. and and I just don't see how he could continue the job with um, such an incident hanging over him. I I, I, I guess one concern, and, uh, uh, and again, I'm, I'm slightly hesitant to offer it in mitigation, is that our Prime Minister himself has, has stood accused of all manner of uh, fairly unsavoury things, from mm -hmm. uh, discussing beating up a, a journalist, uh, the use of racist language, uh, derogatory language towards Muslim women and such like. And I suppose if, if, if there is a, a consensus within the Tory rank and file that it's acceptable for a Prime Minister to have behaved like that in the past, then maybe it goes the same for his MPs. Yes, spot, spot on. And, and this is one of the things that I have been um, calling out and, and referring to every time we see an incident like this. You know, we, we saw this regarding the uh, female climate protester being quite violently um, um, manhandled by a uh, conservative. Oh, gosh, yes, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and the, the, there was hardly anything other than, you know, a, a slap on the wrist. But you're certainly right. The normalisation process has happened well before this incident. And it's coming from the, the top down and it's coming from other countries. We're seeing it as well with, with heads of state. So uh, that, that, that is a concern. I mean, I'm thinking back, if you go back um, three years, we had the British Defence Minister, well, the Defence Minister Michael Fallon. Um, he resigned... And he, and he resigned because um, it emerged that he had touched a, a radio presenter's knee, uh, someone who's known to me, uh, back in 2002. It was 15 years. Uh, so that was a resigning from a ministerial post, but I would argue that touching a knee is a far less uh, significant um, sexual invasion than... Um, you know, exposing yourself in a in a in a pub, and therefore, yeah. I wonder whether would you have said that Michael Fallon resigning as a minister but staying as an MP was acceptable for touching a knee? But it's a different case for James Grundy. Oh, it's, it's certainly a different case, and you know, touching a knee, uh, you know, uh, sexual assaults and sexual inappropriate behaviour is certainly on, on a spectrum. Um, it is wrong in, in all cases, but touching a knee is not a comparison. Uh, a comparison that we. Uh, can refer to in this case regarding exposing yourself, even if you were asked to, which is in this case, um, in a pub. I just don't see how he could stand up in Parliament um, and continue his job. Here's uh, Kevin for you. Um, Jennifer, um, I don't know James Grundy, but let's uh, cut him... I don't want to. Well, let's cut him some slack. It was okay. 2007. <laughs> is there to be no room for forgiveness for people to redeem themselves in the passage of time? I... 
part of me wants to say yes, if I'm if I'm being if I'm being honest. But another part of me just always comes back to the point of we need our politicians, men and women, to be moral examples and better examples of what we have in society. And we need credibility in these in these representatives. Well, but but the I mean the age of honourable resignations in politics ended a generation <laughs> ago at least. Freak. So yep. uh, should it not be uh, that what we desire from our politicians is for them to be good at their jobs and efficient at their jobs and not worry too much about things that happened 15 years ago? Well, I certainly think the private is is the public, certainly in this in this day and age. And I personally, um, not professionally, certain people disagree with this in, in political science, that I cannot buy into or have trust or respect for people if their private life has evolved or is exposed in excuse the pun, but exposed in this certain <laughs> manner. Yeah, um, it wasn't it wasn't yeah. that long ago, lest we forget. And I, I'm sure you recall this, Doctor Cassidy, that our MPs yeah. uh, were voting and actually decided to ban um, upskirting photos, uh, two years in prison, and a place on the sex offenders register. And it now seems yeah. ironic that if they were to have that vote today, uh, one of the people voting is a person who has actually exposed himself, uh, and therefore one would have argued if uh, if anybody had uh, brought a criminal case against him and he too might have ended up on the sex offenders register i mean it's it's it seems intolerable i would have thought the matthew wright show on talk radio this one, a story about another former undercover copper called Andy Coles, who's actually related to the Reverend Richard Coles. And he uh, stands accused of deceiving a 19-year-old environmental activist again. I mean, it's, I, I'm fascinated by the police obsession with environmentalists. And um, way back in time, uh, Andy Coles uh, allegedly deceived this 19-year-old into a sexual relationship. A sexual relationship, the woman who uh, describes herself, I think she's, she's anonymous but uses the name Jessica, uh, a, a, a relationship she's would never have happened had she known the man was a police officer. She wouldn't have allowed her, allowed him into her home. However, uh, an internal uh, police investigation has now uncovered credible evidence, um, because Andy Coles denied it, calling her claims lurid. Um, the police investigation uncovered credible evidence that indeed the officer did deceive this 19-year-old into a sexual relationship. What does this mean for the future of undercover policing? Um, as I said, the inquiry that started in um, 2017 isn't due to f report back until 2023. Actually, I'm wrong, it's 2015 to 2023. Eight years we're going to have to wait in, in total. So um, I thought we'd go to uh, Peter Blexley instead, a former undercover police officer who himself, I understand, had to prove his credibility to a woman he, he was uh, keeping an eye on uh, relating to a drug bust. He can explain it all for us now. He joins us on the line. Good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon. So, so what happened to you then, sir? Well, I spent a decade working undercover, um, but the people we were operating against were not environmental activists. Right. They were not people legitimately expressing their right to protest or anything like that. We were actually embedded into the very heart of serious and organised crime right. where drugs and guns were plentiful. And what did you do? I pretended to be a gangster for a decade. Um, so I bought literally millions upon millions of pounds worth of, of, of drugs. I took a considerable number of guns off the street. I took part in... Uh, conspiracies to murder, where people thought I was uh, an assassin for hire. Um, together with my colleagues, we put hundreds of criminals away for literally thousands of years. Now, on one such occasion, 
I'd been introduced to a criminal gang, uh, a female who was central in brokering deals for considerable quantities of drugs. She kind of acted as the middle person. She would find the interested parties and introduce them to another man who was smuggling drugs into the country through the diplomatic bag, which essentially is the sort of postal service for diplomats, for embassies and, and, and the like. Diplomatic privilege, if you will. Uh, and, and this particular employee of an embassy was abusing that to smuggle cocaine into the country. I gotcha, right. When you look back on that, do you now perceive yourself as being vulnerable to potential prosecution because of having to prove your credibility to this woman? Uh, I mean, because that is, that is part of this, this sort of situation, is it not? As far as I'm concerned, and this might sound a little outdated perhaps, but I think it applies in a lot of common sense policing, that if, if the ends justify the means, then so be it. I was perfectly willing to go to the Old Bailey, to go into the witness box if need be, and admit to what I had done, yeah. uh, because of course there was uh, a defendant sitting in the dock and um, that wasn't necessary in the end he pleaded guilty and he got a substantial jail term and of course if my involvement with this woman hadn't been what it was I have absolutely no doubt that they would still be smuggling drugs in through that method today happily undetected and sitting on fortunes. Gotcha. So what do we make of this situation involving a former undercover police officer, uh, then subsequently a a Tory councillor, and in fact in between a deputy police and crime commissioner as well? the Met Police say that there is credible evidence. They are no—I think—they're no longer contesting uh, the woman's legal action. She said that she was a, she had a first uh, sexual relationship, I think, uh, with uh, Andy Coles—a relationship that lasted more than a year. The Met is no longer contesting her legal action and are going to discuss compensation. Well, I would apply my test. Do the ends justify the means? And I've asked, I've asked this question so many times about yeah. these undercover cops who I didn't know and were yeah. not a part of my unit who were targeting environmental campaigners or other political yeah. protesters. You know, where are the criminal convictions? Where are all the successful operations where people got locked up, crime was prevented, people were kept safe as a result of their work? Because quite frankly, I don't see any. And I would have thought that if they were trying to justify their existence and what they did, um, they would be lauding all these criminal conspiracies for everyone to see. But I, I see no evidence of it. And quite frankly, if somebody is exercising their right to protest, then what is a very, very important police tactic. Let's just remember, only last week a woman was convicted because of an undercover police operation and she wanted to blow St Paul's Cathedral up. Yes. So, you know, undercover policing is a vitally important and sometimes very, very cost-effective tactic. And and it shouldn't be abandoned, but it should be used proportionately, justifiably, and certainly not for environmental protests. I mean, it's um, it's the fact that the environmental protests seem to come up quite a lot uh, in, in these uh, in these rather um, uh, shady uh, situations that I think is a concern. But are you... I know you're a former undercover officer, but when you consider uh, the likes of, of, Andy, Cole, uh, of, uh, of Andy Coles and also the, the ongoing inquiry into um, other similar behaviours by other officers, are you concerned that undercover policing may end up becoming... Um, 
so controlled, so perhaps um, overrun by red tape and bureaucracy that it will no longer be an effective police tool? No, because I've been out there and sometimes, right. you know, when your life is on the line, you have to think on your feet, you have to act spontaneously in order to stay alive and keep your, and maintain your credibility and, and keep the public safe in the, at the end of the day. But I ask another question about all these undercover cops that were spending their time with environmental campaigners. Not only where is the justification, but where was the management, the supervision? Who was signing these operations off? Really good Who question. was allowing this to happen? Who ever thought that it was justified, proportionate and a good idea? Because I certainly don't.